0: The Lord be with you and, and with your spirit. spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory, Glory to you. To In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be enrolled each to his own town. And Joseph, too, went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David that is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, to be enrolled with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were shepherds in that region living in the fields and keeping the night watch over their flock. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were struck with great fear. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you, who is Christ and Lord. And this will be a sign for you you will find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks to you to God.
1: Merry Christmas get tired of saying that. This beautiful story that uh, has just been proclaimed yet again in our midst by our Deacon Brian, and which is displayed here in front of us in the images of our, of our little nativity scene. Such a beautiful story. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of one of those stories that you just never forget. It's got all kinds of beautiful images in it, you know, that makes us feel very warm and, and kind of cuddly on Christmas morning. You know, there's little Mary, and there's strong Joseph, and there's a little baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, and you've got the shepherds over here, and you've got the angels up there, and eventually, of course, the magi will come from the east bearing gifts. It's a story that... Printed on a million Christmas cards, it's told and retold in all kinds of different ways. Little kids act it out, and it makes us feel so warm and and even nostalgic for when we were little kids and we got to put straw in the manger and we got to dress up as angels with flappy little feathery wings. And all those beautiful memories from our from our childhood kind of come flooding back on this morning when we hear this story anew. It makes us feel nostalgic and cozy and certainly warm indeed. When Matthew and Luke the evangelists first wrote these stories down, of course, they weren't shooting for nostalgia, and they weren't shooting for coziness, and they certainly weren't shooting for just making people feel warm. To the contrary, what they wanted when they first told this story, they wanted, they wanted Well, sort of a big bang to happen in the ears and the hearts and the minds of their listeners. They wanted a kind of explosion of light. They wanted to shake people up. They wanted to open their eyes to something bigger than themselves that they'd never ever seen before. A kind of spiritual big bang in the hearts of the people who would hear this story for the first time. And each of the elements of the story is crafted to try and make that happen. But if we just hear the story as something that's warm and cuddly and reminding of us our childhood, that Big Bang kind of moment is probably not going to happen. To understand the story, to understand what Luke and Matthew were getting at when they wrote these stories, you almost have to go way, 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 way back to the beginning backstory of the story to really get it. So let's go back. Let's go to God resting in his infinite infinitude long before he created the universe. And one day God wakes up and he's feeling particularly generative or creative or something. And so he gets out his drawing pad and says, you know, I'd, I'd like to create a universe a universe that's replete with galaxies and stars and suns and beautiful planets and all kinds of creatures and he's drawing out spinwheely galaxies and planets with all kinds of different colors in them and stars bl- blinking in the middle of the night and, and then he starts crafting the little animals that he would like to create and there's dinosaurs of all kinds and there's giraffes with long necks that are fanciful and make him laugh and maybe most of all there's that elephant he draws this big heavy-duty elephant and he laughs so long when he draws the trunk that in that laughter all of a sudden creation actually explodes out of his mind and out of his heart and it happens the universe is suddenly spinning as the theme song for Big Bang Theory goes you know it's like All of a sudden, the universe is spinning out, and it's a mess, and all of a sudden it starts forming into galaxies, and all these things that God dreamt of on that creative morning are happening. And it's wonderful, and God is delighted, and He keeps laughing in joy at what He is creating across the millennia. And in the midst of this beautiful work of creation, of course, there's this little green and blue and white planet that He particularly loves. He finds it especially delightful. Everything is right on this planet to create something really special. And that's where he plants his animals and his plants. And and eventually that's where he plants his human beings. These people who are different from everything else because he's breathed in them his very spirit, his breath, his heart, his love. And they open their eyes and they look up and they say, wow, here we are. Isn't it wonderful? Adam, Eve, whatever, we're here. And at first, everything is wonderful, everything is perfect, it's a veritable Garden of Eden. In fact, it is the Garden of Eden, it's not veritable at all. And they're happy and everything is fine. And they're so intelligent. These human beings that have been given God's own spirit They're so smart, they can create algorithms. They're not sure what algorithms are, but they can create them. (laughs) And so they're out there and they're exercising their brains and they're learning about everything there is to learn. And pretty soon they start saying, Hey, we're pretty cool. We're kind of dudes on this planet. We've got power. We have smarts we can write algorithms, it's a wonderful thing therefore God see you later we're like little gods ourselves, we're almost as good as you, in fact we don't really need you anymore God our creator because we're cool and we're dudes and that of course is the beginning of the end Well, not the beginning of the end, but the beginning of lots of trouble. It's a veritable Pandora's box of trouble. And everything starts going haywire because of their arrogance and because they've forgotten where they've come from and their eyes close to God and they can't see him anymore. And they really know they're deep in it when their son, Cain, takes a club because he's jealous of his brother, Abel. And clobbers him over the head and leaves him for dead in a field. Oh, God, what have we begotten? What have we become? And they can't see it. They're so cool. They're so smart. They're so much like little gods themselves that they can't fix it. They can't go back to those happy little days in the garden when everything was fine and then centuries pass and centuries pass and it's the same old story people are beating up on each other because I should be better than you and I should have more than you and I should be greater than you it's not just about God anymore it's about our relationships with one another they're so fraught with ego and arrogance and pride and power seeking that we can't live in peace and justice and love anymore Finally, one day, there's this little guy, this little nomad, out in the desert named Abram. And one night, he looks up into the night sky and he sees the stars above and the galaxies and the whole universe spread before him. And if you've ever been out in the desert, you know that you see the stars. They're magnificent, like you can't see them in a city anymore. And when he sees the stars, he gets a big bang moment. It's as big as the big bang moment when God created the universe almost. It's as big as the big bang moment when human beings woke up to life and love. It's the big bang moment where looking up into the stars, he sees God in his infiniteness, in his uniqueness in his oneness, in his love. God, you created all this. And you created me. Wow, can I be your friend? And God says to him in so many words, Of course, Abraham, you're my friend. Wow. It's one of those big bang moments when someone sees God again. Their eyes are opened. Their hearts burst with love. Not just for God, but for the people around Him. And then God and his little wife Sarah who are very old. They have a little boy and his name is Isaac. And Abraham almost kills Isaac, but we don't want to go to that story because it's kind of an awful story. And then Isaac has a son and his name is Jacob. And Jacob has a bunch of sons and their names are things like Reuben and Levi and God, I don't know, who knows all their names. And but the youngest son is Joseph. And Joseph is this beautiful boy. And his father loves him so much. He gives him this coat with many colors. And then he gets, the brothers are jealous of him. and they. Throw Throw him in a pit, but they decide they don't going to kill him after all. So they take him out of the pit and then they send him off to a, with a caravan of who knows who off to Egypt to get rid of this awful son Joseph, this brother Joseph that they hate because he's so cute and he's so nice and he's so good, and his father loves him more than he loves us. And then Joseph, of course, rises in the in the leadership of Egypt and becomes like the pharaohs. I don't know, prime minister or something. And then there's a famine and the brothers come to Egypt looking for food. And Joseph finds them and they find Joseph and they love each other again. And then and then they stay there and they live there for like, I don't know, three or four or five hundred years. And then people forget about Joseph. And then they put these poor Hebrews, make them slaves, all these sons of Reuben and Levi and all these guys. And they make them build the pyramids. and, And then, and then... They're in misery and they can't get out of their slavery and everything is wrong and everything is stupid and everything is awful. And then Moses, who's a Hebrew but he's grown up as an Egyptian, he's out walking one day being cool, being Moses, young guy, dude and he's walking along and all of a sudden he encounters this burning bush and the burning bush talks to him and it's God it says take off your shoes and kneel right there and he does and God says okay I want you to go free my people he says me but I'm just Moses go ahead you do it and so Moses gets a staff and he's able to hit the staff on the ground and all of a sudden the rivers turn to blood and frogs take over the land and grasshoppers and anyway Pharaoh lets the people go and they go 40 years in the desert and they're miserable out there because they're kind of unhappy and it's a terrible place to live and they finally end up in the promised land and they get to the promised land and everything is beautiful again except they forget God again. One more time they forget God. Who brought us here? Who led us here? How did we get here? It was God but we don't need you anymore God because we're so cool and we're such dudes and we're so good at what we do. (laughs) But they forget God and they start worshiping idols and they start doing all these terrible things to one another as always and then there's prophets and the prophets say clean up your act you can't live this way this isn't what God wants of you and they say ah who cares we're doing just fine as it is but there's one prophet, his name is Isaiah, and he sees beyond this. He says, you can't fix yourselves. You've got to rely on God. God's going to come and fix us for us. And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yada, yada, yada. We've heard all that before. And then there's a great king, and his name is David, and he unites everybody and makes him a nation again. And then it all falls apart after David because his sons are a bunch of idiots. And then... The prophets keep telling them, clean up your act, and they don't. And they get overrun by the Persians, and they get overrun by the Babylonians, and they get overrun by the Russians. Oh, no, no, that's a different century. They get overrun by the Romans. That's who it is. The Romans come, and they take over the land, and they're, they're oppressive, and they run everything, and they have these fake kings like the Herods, and they make the people go get censused in faraway places just to make it happen. And it's a miserable life yet again. Here they are, oppressed once again. and and that's where this story picks up. The Romans are pushing people around and everybody's unhappy because they're oppressed and when you're picked on by someone you usually pick on somebody else and when someone's exercising power over you in a negative way you do it to the other person. When someone's abusive to you you go be abusive to someone else so the whole place is a mess again. Human beings are always, always, always forgetting. Forgetting where they came from and where they're going. And in the midst of this mess, in the midst of this mess, we have this little story of a baby born in a stable in Bethlehem. And a few people catch it. They say, you know, this Is the new Moses the one who's going to lead us to freedom? This is the new David who's going to make our nation one again. This is the Messiah that Isaiah and the other prophets talked about to us. But who is it that gets it? It's not the priests. It's not the potentates. It's not King Herod. It's it's not even the Sadducees or the Pharisees who dedicate themselves to studying the law. In the scriptures, it's the miserable shepherds. The lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor. The smelliest of the smelly. They're the ones who see. They're the ones who get it. Those shepherds, they're not really just shepherds. Because they represent everybody that Jesus is going to meet along the way when he's a big guy. This story we discover is not really about Jesus' birth. It's about Jesus' life. And those shepherds are the first great clue that what we're really reading here is not the story of how Jesus was born, but the story of how Jesus dies. And what it tells us is that this little baby grows up not to be a great leader like Moses, not to be a great king like David but to simply be a guy who cares who cares about the poor who stretches out his hand and heals the blind who gives new life to lepers when he encounters women who've been accused of adultery he places himself between them and the ravenous crowd ready to stone them to death And he turns to those people who are ready to kill. And he says, who among you is without sin? You throw the first stone. And they all walk away. These are the real shepherds. These blind, these lepers. These sinful women that we find in the gospel stories. The tax collectors. They're the ones who seek they have a new big bang moment when they encounter Jesus they see God again they recognize God is here with us in our sufferings in our joys in our sickness and even in our death those big shots the high priests, the low priests the scribes, the Pharisees, the cool dudes, they hate this. They hate what Jesus is doing. What right does he have to do this? What right does he have to say he's doing these things in the name of God because we're the people who speak in the name of God. And they hate him. And they kill him. And it's only the shepherds it's only the lepers, it's only the sinful women who really figure out this is how we are saved by God. Not with power, not with might, not with glory, not with swords, but by compassion, forgiveness, mercy, the love of God. That sets the stage for the last and biggest big bang of all. The big bang of the resurrection. When Jesus, this little child, shows to us this flesh and blood human being who also brings to us godness. He shows to us that violence and injustice and cruelty and arrogance and power, these terrible afflictions of humanity, since way back in Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. They do not win. They do not win. They do not win. Love. Mercy. Forgiveness. God's way of love always wins in the end. And life, real life, true life, God's kind of life, is always there for us. That's what this story is about. And that's why it's a big bang story. Every time we read this story or see it pictured in beautiful images, it's meant to open our eyes. To open our eyes to God here with us now. The Word was made flesh and pitched his tent among us. The Word was made flesh and suffered with us, ate with us, drank with us, even died with us. And the Word made flesh was not overcome by the darkness or the evil or the hatred or the arrogance or the power of human beings who are no longer able to see God this story is meant to open our eyes and our hearts and our lives to the power and the grace and the light and the life without end of God with us now. Big bang moment.